Welcome everybody to Marin Covenant Church. Uh, my name is Ben Kearns, online people. Super glad that you guys are here. Great to have you as well. Um, so here's a little bit of a, I'm gonna give you a little bit of inside scoop about how I'm wired. Um, because I did youth ministry forever, because I love young people forever, whatever the young people are doing, I unintentionally, not unintentionally, I very guess intentionally jump in. But the bummer is I'm old and I don't fit in and it feels a little like I'm a tryhard, which I understand. Well, um, one of the trends that I jumped in on was to be, uh, was TikTok. Are, are anyone on TikTok? Is anyone doing that? No, you're like, no way. It's from the devil. I understand. Well, I like for the kids, I got in it and now I cannot stop. It is like, like the algorithm is so scary. And like, because of TikTok, now I'm also a conspiracy theorist. I'm like Chinese, uh, this app from the Chinese is listening to everything I'm saying. And it's like, I am like way deep down the rabbit hole. And the hard part is the algorithm knows me. Like it gives me what I want. Like I didn't know that I wanted deconstruction Mormon TikTok, but I did. I didn't know, you know, that I wanted like, all these golf tips, but apparently I did. And I didn't know I wanted really offensive humor so I could fit in with my son more, but I did. And it just pours it on me over and over and over again. And now I'm stuck, I cannot stop. Well, what's interesting is, like I said, I've gone down the rabbit hole and I'm a full conspiracy theorist now. And I, and I genuinely believe the Chinese are using this thing to listen to everything that I say. And I don't wanna be, but this is the weirdest thing that happened. I was having lunch with a friend of mine and, uh, and he's all into astronomy and he is going, off on astronomy. Now listen, I haven't taken a hard science since I was like 19. So I'm trying to fit in. I'm trying to hang, but he is going off and he's so passionate. And I'm like excited about passionate people. So I'm like, this is great. Well, all of a sudden TikTok starts giving me some astronomy stuff. And I'm like, okay, this is too weird. So all that's to say is this last month, this picture came across my TikTok and it probably came across like you adults who like watch CNN and whatever. Like you probably saw this too, but I found out about this through TikTok. Does anybody know what this is, what picture this is? Good mumbling, yes. It's the James Webb Telescope um, of the universe. And if, you, uh, if you're older, right, you remember that it was the Hubble Telescope, which was the most sophisticated camera to see the universe. And this thing is just, you know, so much better. It's updated, it can see through infrared stuff. Like I said, I, I'm not gonna say more because I don't even know. I mean, like I said, I don't know anything about science. But, so let's make sure we're at least on the same page. Who knows what galaxy we live in? Milky Way. Okay, good job. All right, now let's take a guess, if, or if you know, how many stars and or planets are there in the Milky Way? Too many. Millions, billions, gazillions. Yeah, okay, there's between 100 and 400 stars and or planets in the Milky Way. And scientists believe that there are probably around 300 million planets like Earth, or, or planets that could probably sustain life in some way. 300 planets, like where are the aliens, right? They are out there. Okay, so that is the, that's the Milky Way, one galaxy. The numbers are already too big for me. This picture, and this picture is only a third of the real picture because I had to make it fit on the screen. This picture from the James Webb Telescope is a picture of a thousand galaxies. A thousand galaxies, not just one Milky Way with 100 million uh, planets and stars and 300 million, or sorry, 100 billion plants or stars and 300 million um, plants like Earth. No, this is a thousand galaxies. Like, I don't even know the numbers, like one times 10 to the number, like whatever, the, I don't even know math. Like, I just, this is so big, right? It's mind boggling. Now, here's what's even crazier about this. This picture, which is a thousand galaxies, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. There's a thousand galaxies. That's really big. I could almost get my head around that. But then what TikTok taught me, which is backed up by CNN and the Wall Street Journal, is 
if you take a grain of sand and you hold it up to the sky, the amount of the sky that's covered by that grain of sand is this picture. Dude, is that crazy? So like, I spent like most of July just being depressed. Like, what are we even doing here? What, what do I even matter? What is the point? I mean, we are like a millisecond in this grand scheme earth. There's probably bazillions of versions of earth out there. Like I was like, I mean, I was mesmerized. I'm like, it is meaningless. It is purposeless. What we do is so like, it just does not matter. And it's going to be forgotten in an instant. Oh, it's kind of depressing. And what's interesting is, like, I love information. I love learning things. I feel like the more that I learn things, the more I, if I can only understand everything, then I'm going to feel better about myself and my purpose. But all of a sudden, you look at a picture like this, and you just go, okay, I'm never going to understand anything. Like, I just throw in the towel. But everyone's wired differently. Some people are like, well, if I could just get enough wealth, if I can just get enough status, if I can just have enough pleasure, if I can just satisfy my flesh, if I can, if I can just do that thing, I'll find some purpose, some reason to make sense of this whole world. Because... In our guts, we have this tension where we know that we're really special. We know that there's this purpose for us, but we also know we're part of this giant world that we could never get our head around and that we're actually this vapor. We're, we're just nothing. We're meaningless. Well, how fun that in the very middle of the Bible, in the middle of the history and God's faithfulness, the story and these songs of worship heading into pointing towards Jesus there's this book called Ecclesiastes, which no one seems to like, but I love. It's, it's like the perfect angsty Gen X garbage what's going on out in the world book. And we are going to talk about this morning. Are you pumped? Yeah. yeah, let's go. Okay, so here's the basic thesis. This is the thesis of Ecclesiastes 1-2. Meaningless. Meaningless. Everything is utterly meaningless. Oh, so good, right? So good. Because you look at that picture and you're like, yes, that is true. And like I said, I spent most of July like kind of depressing. Well, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, immediately you look at the book of, of Ecclesiastes and it was written by David's son. And some authors, some, some uh, scholars think that was written by Solomon or someone who's like Solomon. And Solomon was the wisest person in all of scriptures, the wisest person to ever live. And, uh, and so, gosh, if the wisest person ever lived and wanted to talk to us about how the world works, Solomon's our guy, right? And so he says, all right, everything is meaningless. And that word meaningless is said over 38 times. Isn't that crazy? Now, that word meaningless, that's how it's translated, but the, it's actually a Hebrew word called hevel. And hevel actually literally means vapor, like smoke. And it's interesting because that, that, that basically, is, if, you, if you're honest, that is what is going on. We are basically vapor. You look at it, there's form to it, but if you try to grab it, like it's, you just can't get it. it is, it's beautiful and, and interesting, and it's just kind of then gone. So what, what, what the author is saying is not only these things are meaningless, but definitely the meaning is hard to understand. It is a complex thing to understand our meaning and our purpose. And what I love about Solomon, Solomon is the wisest person to ever live. He was the king of Israel at the height of Israel's power and wealth and fame. And so he's like, you know what? Somebody's going to have to like figure this thing out, and it's going to be me. So what does he do? He's like, let's start with pleasure. He marries 500 people, right? Between 500, well, he has wives and concubines. Like, man, being married with one person, like that is a challenge. But he's like, no, I'm going all the way. How far can you go with pleasure and hedonism? I'm going to find out. Now, not me, Solomon. And he does. He goes all the way. And what does he find out? Turns out it's meaningless. If you go all the way to satisfy your flesh, to satisfy your hedonistic desires, it feels good in the moment, but Monday always comes. How cool that we have Solomon is like, hey, you don't have to, because he did it. 
Thanks, Solomon. Right? So he went all the way with pleasure. He's like, okay, I'm going to build these giant temples and this giant, all this incredible architecture. I'm going to build this whole, you know, this whole city and represent my, my empire and my status and how great it is. But because he's so wise, he's like, well, let's be honest. All the people who build stuff before us, we don't like those guys. We don't know those guys. We don't care about those guys. And some country's going to come in and knock it all down at some point because it's meaningless. It's a vapor. What about wealth? You spend and work, you spend your whole life working and toiling and trying to save money only to not be able to spend it. Or you give it to your kids and they just like throw it all away. And, and in three generations, whatever you did, it didn't matter anyway. Everything is meaningless. Oh, brutal. So at the very end, what in the world are we supposed to do? What does this all mean? And, uh, and, and I love it because basically Solomon or the person who's like Solomon, who, who's writing this book, who's just wise and has wrestled this stuff all the way to the ground, he says, okay, but there is a purpose. There is a, there is a reason, and here it is. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good while they live, that each of them may eat, and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, for this is the gift of God. And not just a beautiful thing. Let me read this one more time. I know there's nothing better for people than to be happy, to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink, find satisfaction in their toil, for this is a gift of God. Because here's the deal. We're vapor. It's over. In a millisecond, in a hundred years, no one's going to know. It's like, it is over. And so why not just go out to lunch with someone after church and just simmer down for an hour? Well, no, you're like, I got stuff to do. No, an hour. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, just relax, people. Now, listen, I'm just preaching to myself. I am a destination person, not a journey person. But the, excuse me, the wisest person in the Bible is like, maybe you should be a journey person. Simmer down. Eat, drink, enjoy life, right? Um, in fact, what he ends up saying is, that the, we'll talk about this at the very end, but the very classic, the classic wisdom, the sum of it all is to fear God, which basically means you need to own that you're vapor. Like God loves you, he sees you, but this is a moment. You need to own that. Like God is so other than you. So instead of you trying to control God, understand God, do all things, like you're vapor, okay? So fear God and then enjoy life. Oh, eat food, drink wine, and be with your friends. That's the will of God. Okay, pretty great. So that's the basic, that's the basic gist. That's what's happening in Ecclesiastes. But what's so incredible, in Ecclesiastes, the Lord in his mysterious way takes Solomon and he somehow makes Solomon say this thing, which I don't even think Solomon totally understood, but Christians over the centuries have said, there's something here. And uh, we're going to take a look at that. So he says in chapter 3, verse 11, he says that God has made everything beautiful in his time. He's also set eternity in the heart. I'm sorry, he set eternity in the human heart. And we know this to be true because even though in our minds we know we're vapor, we know this is all meaningless, we know it's all going to go away any second, we also know that we are made with purpose. Every human everywhere in the world knows that they're made with purpose. They're trying to figure it out. They know they've been made with some sort of intention. And even Solomon says, God has put eternity in their hearts. Like we are crafted with this little bit of brokenness so that we are going to search. Because if we don't search, then we are just going to go down the hedonistic road all the way. We're going to go down the wealth road all the way. We're going to go down the knowledge road all the way. But instead, God goes, I'm going to give this little broken piece so that humanity will spend their entire lives trying to figure out what is happening inside of us. And so this is the, this is the name of the, the, the title of the sermon. This is the good news in the Old Testament that God has given us wisdom 
to understand just enough about God to live a full and abundant life. Now, unfortunately, we think we should have wisdom to know everything there is to know about God, but that's not what he's done. He's just given us just enough to know about God so that we can live a full and abundant life. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, he says this very clearly. He says, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, says, Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For all they, though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that is the human condition in our own sin, in our own rebellion, in our own brokenness. Our vision is clouded. And so we run down the hedonist road and the wisdom road and the, the wealth road. We try to find and satisfy our own stuff. Our thinking is futile. But Paul says, listen, I play, God's placed eternity in your heart. In fact, if you are smart enough and wrestle with, to the ground, you actually will have a pretty good understanding of who God is, of who God made you to be. And thankfully, we live in a time where we don't just get to pontificate about that and go, what does that even mean? We live in a time where we get to see the fulfillment of that. So instead of God just being this mysterious unknown, we live in this time where we recognize that Jesus has already come to earth, fully human, fully God. And Jesus says, if you want to know what God looks like, you look to me. You want to know what God's character is? You look to me. You want the clearest teaching of of who God is? You look to me. You want to understand what it means to be a human being and how you're supposed to live? You look to me. And Jesus clarifies this whole thing. Um, he has this conversation with Thomas in John chapter 14. And it's this famous passage of scripture. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And no one's going to come to the Father except through me. And what I thought would be kind of fun is as we wrap up our time, is to look at those three, quick, those three key things. Because not everything is meaningless. Not everything is a mystery. Jesus actually clarifies a couple things. And we want to know what Jesus clarifies so we can at least embrace what we do know about God. So that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. So the first thing is that Jesus is the way, right? Jesus is, if you want to know how to live your life, you want to know what the ethic is of how to live a full life, Jesus is the way. He has taught us how to live. One of my favorite authors, Simon Sinek, wrote this game called The Infinite Game. Now, if you think of a game, you think of baseball, right? There's a beginning, there's rules, there's a score, and then at some point, there's someone that wins. There's a winner and loser. I love winning and losing. I, I want to keep score. That's why I don't like soccer so much, right? But I love normal sports where there's a winner and a loser. That makes sense to me, okay? Well, the infinite game is saying, hey, instead of always trying to win, the infinite game is saying, let's play a game that goes on forever. And this isn't about like sports. This is about business and, and really how do humans interact, right? And what ends up happening is we, because we are winners and losers, we end up treating relationships and business and all things as winners and losers. So if you think of a garage sale, I have all this junk in my yard and I want to get rid of it. So someone comes to my yard, I sell them my bike, and I want to get the most money possible. I'm never going to see this person again. If they take the bike and it breaks Buyer beware, like, well, I'm never going to see you again. I'm the winner, they're the loser. If they're like, I just got all the stuff for free out of your yard. They're the winner, I'm the loser, right? That's how, that's how we kind of think. We're always trying to maximize work people. That's why we use Expedia, and we don't actually, like, give real restaurants and hotels our money because we're all like, we want to win, right? Well, the infinite game is no, no, no. We want to be able to go back. And so people who own a business, if you own a bike shop, you also have to have customer service. You actually have to do a good job with your bike. You actually have to build good bikes because if someone buys a bike and it breaks, they're going to find out about it and then your business is going to go out of business. And so business owners know that they want this infinite game. They want this interaction to go over and over and over again. 
Well, humans are no different either. If you think of the way we interact, if every interaction is a game, there's this um, great idea called iterative game theory, which is where he got this whole idea from. It's basically like you want to play this game over and over and over again. Right? So if Zorik and I are hanging out, right? Zorik and I, I want to be better friends with Zorik. So we're going to go and we're going to hang out. I promise you, we are going to hang out. And we hang out once, and I can keep my junk together for an hour. He's like, gosh, that Ben guy is pretty good. But man, by the second time we hang out, he's like, I don't even know if I like that Ben guy, right? And by the third time, my, my jerkiness has fully come out. Well, all humans have that interaction. And what ends up happening, at some point, someone has hurt us and wronged us in such a way that we go, and we're done, Right? We're justice people. We love justice. Justice, because we're made in the image of God, justice is a thing. But justice is true for all humans. But justice always ends in blood feud. It always ends in the end of a game. Because someone's right, there's a winner, and there's a loser. But the Jesus ethic is totally different. The Jesus ethic compels us to have mercy, to have forgiveness, to have humility. So by the third time I hang out with Zorak, he finds out, gosh, I'm not as cool as I thought I was. And but because Zorik's an epic Christian and he has the Jesus ethic, he's like, oh, but I can forgive you, Ben. I can extend mercy to you, right? And as we become deeper friends and we give more of our soul to each other and we get to be closer and closer friends, the chance of hurting each other go, grows exponentially, right? For those of you who have ever been in a significant relationship for a long time or have been married, like, you know, like, that person can hurt you 10,000 times more than anybody else because you've given them your whole soul. And justice always has a winner and loser, but the Jesus ethic makes the infinite game. So Jesus says, I am the way. You want to know how to live? Mercy, forgiveness, humility. That's the way. All right, Jesus goes on and says, not only is he the way, but what's the second part? He is the truth. All right, I know I didn't say it very compelling. Like, should I say it or not? Jesus is the Okay. I saw that in a sermon class. It helps people stay engaged. Okay, so Jesus is the truth. What's great about Jesus is that he allows us to be able to see God in ourselves more clearly. He made some really bold claims. He says that he is the way and the truth and the life. And that is a really bold, exclusive claim. People hate Christians because of this, because Christians basically say Jesus is the only way. If you want to understand God, this mysterious God, we say, oh, Jesus is it. You say, gosh, but what about all the religions out there? I mean, they're all basically the same. And here's what's wild. I spent some time studying this week, and you know what? They are all basically the same. Judaism Christianity, Islam, Confucius, Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism. If you had to put the center of the Venn diagram, listen to these ethics that all humans share, that all human religions and philosophies share. The golden rule is common. To work for happiness of others, especially the poor. To focus on the present. You aim for achievements and not money. You interact with the community or have some sort of community life. Take responsibility for your actions and to know yourself and your place in the world. Is that crazy? Now, I'm not going to lie. When I was younger, I'm like, this has messed me up. I'm like, what am I even doing? Why am I a pastor? I need to run after wealth. I'm just kidding. I'm, but I mean, what, like, what, is, what are you supposed to do with this? But here's what's kind of mind-boggling. If you think about it, if Jesus is the truth, if we're all made in the image of God, if what Paul says that God has actually made himself known, then wouldn't it make sense that the smartest people, the most reflective people in every corner of the world, in every culture of the world has said, hey, human beings, it's important for these couple things. An anthropologist that uh, um, did a study, and N.T. Wright talked about it in his book, Simply Christian, he says, every human culture values justice and beauty and love and worship. Every culture, but every culture does not know how 
to make the idealized version come to, come to pass. All those religions, we, that's the idealized version, but nobody knows how to make it come to pass. And what I love about Jesus being the truth is Jesus is the umbrella. If we're all made in the image of God, if Jesus reveals God, then we get to actually have some mental framework to understand our incredible uniqueness in the way that God loves us and in in our value because we're made in the image of God. And we have something to do with this evil fleshly side that makes humans do the worst, most horrific things in all of human history. Like, it's, like we, there is this tension and Christianity paints the picture of how that all works. To just tell people to do what's right, you know that, that's, not, that that's hard. Like if you have a financial planner, it's like, don't remodel your kitchen, save money for retirement. You're like, no, I'm remodeling my kitchen. You don't know, right? It's just in us to do what we want. And so Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus is the truth. And thankfully it makes sense that all humans experience that, which means, which is kind of wild too, almost every religion and every philosophy is kind of bound by their cultural place, right? Buddhism in Southeast Asia, Hinduism in India, Middle East is Islam, right? Christianity, and like we, like especially all the kids, oh, Christianity, it's this white suburban religion, Christian nationalism, Dude, Christianity is a worldwide religion. Christianity is the only religion that's made its place work in every culture, in every time, in every system, everywhere in the world, for all of human history. And we actually are the smallest version of Christianity in the whole wide world. So, I mean, is that wild? Jesus is the truth. And because Jesus is the truth, it didn't matter if you lived in 300, 700, today, it didn't matter if you're in Brazil or Africa or Asia, because he's the truth, there's something to that. Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth. The last one is Jesus is the? All right, thanks Kelly. Okay, Jesus is the life. Now, I'm not going to lie, it's easy for me. To, I mean, like I said, I get in my head. I'm a total head case all the time. And I love thinking about ethics. I love thinking about philosophy. I love thinking about religion. And how cool that Christianity is so complex that even Steve Finkbeiner couldn't get to the bottom of all that Christianity has to offer. Now, someone who's simple like me, I'm like, oh, that's kind of fun. But even Steve couldn't get there. And even people 10 times smarter than Steve couldn't even get there. How fun that Jesus is that complex. And you could spend all your life being lost and pontificating about all that stuff. But at the end of the day, why I have just given my entire life to Christ, given my entire life to this church, why our staff has done the exact same thing is because we, in our core of our being, believe that Jesus is the life. That Jesus has come to give us an abundant life. Not humanity, but you individually. Jesus has come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus doesn't just love the world, right? He loves you individually. First John chapter three, verse one. How incredible is this love for God that you might be called a child of God. So as far, even though these tiny little specks, these tiny little vapors, everything's meaningless. In the midst of all that meaninglessness, somehow God sees you individually. He loves you individually. And you in your individual life, and in this individual moment, he gives you purpose. Oh, he is the life. Our entire life, our entire church is, connect, is committed to this idea that we are going to be connected to the vine. We cannot figure out how to have a good life. You can't figure out how to do it all right. But what you can do is you can be connected to the vine. You move towards Christ. And because you move towards Christ, you bear fruit. And he begins to change your life. That's what we have in common. I mean, our church, right, we have people from every background, from every political background, economic background, um, gender background, sexuality background, you name the background, we have nothing in common. You meet five people in this church, you are going to find five totally different stories. But the reason why we gather and we can stay together is because we are going to move towards Christ and be mesmerized 
at what God does in each of our different stories. This last week, um, I hosted a friend of mine from Kansas City, and we went and visited pastors around the Bay Area. He's like, I want to talk to pastors and how they're dealing post-COVID. And I'm like, oh, this is super fun. And so his church paid for my gas and food. And I'm like, this is super great. Um, anyway, we go to this church in Sacramento, and you'll never guess this. So my, the guy there's lead pastor. He's a great friend of mine. And they hired Matt Bleckley to be their high school guy. I mean, their, their youth pastor. Remember Matt Bleckley? Like, he yelled. and like he, I'm just kidding. He was a great kid, right? And he, like, he crushed our middle school group. He... Like, he crushed. Anyway, here he is, old Matt Bleckley with two kids and a beard. And a, like, he's a man. But like, in my mind, he's like this 22-year-old Yahoo who Art wanted to fire day one. Well, that's my picture. Well, in a total humble turn of events, he basically tells the, hey, here's the 33-year-old version or 34-year-old version of Ben. And proceeds to tell this, paints this picture of me as angsty and angry and, um, and like, unavailable emotionally. And like, he just listed every, like, just think toxic masculinity. I'm like, yep, 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 yep. Like he just like blew me up. And I'm like, why are you blowing me up? Like I blew Matt up to you. He's not even here, but he blew me up to my face. <laughs> and because I'm insecure, I'm like, oh, was I really like that? Am I, is that who I am? And I've spent the last few days kind of wrestling with Jesus. Like, oh, I'm really sorry about that. And can I make myself better and different? Or what do I do? And God in his total graciousness is like, well, that is who you are. <laughs> but even more so, that is who you were. Because 10 years ago, learning how to supervise someone, be, learning how to become a lead pastor, you know, dealing with midlife and church tragedy and all, like all the stuff of life, like I was not like just a broken down male who's not very reflective. Like I'm working my stuff out and he gave me this picture and oh my goodness, how cool it 10 years later, God has actually genuinely changed my life. Now, I wish he like changed my life in like more dramatic and bigger, cooler ways where I can make money and, you know, go on TV and stuff. But no, but in a very simple and real way, right, Jesus changed my life. He's began this, he took this, right, someone who could care less about the journey, someone who was angsty and in his head all the time, so worried about all the things he couldn't control, not present in any way, trying to solve problems that I couldn't even begin to solve and has slowly been molding me and shaping me and helping me become a more settled, more whole human being who is excited just to go have lunch and to eat food and to drink wine and to recognize where God is at work. Right? How cool. Praise God. 10 years. And that was fun that Matt got to be that market. It's like a grandparent when they haven't seen you for two years, like, oh my goodness, look how you grow. And the parents are like, they're driving me crazy because you see your kid every single day. Right? You've seen me every single day. I'm so sorry. But how fun that you need to know in 10 years, God has done that to me. And I know for so many of you, if you think back 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, God has done that for you. Jesus is the way and our ethic. He's the truth, the ultimate truth, but he's also the life. And we're going to be committed to running after Jesus with all of our hearts because we trust that who we are today is not who we're going to be, that he's going to redeem us and mold us and shape us. And that's why we have, we have to have mercy towards each other. We have to have grace towards each other because we are all changing and I think as we continue to move towards Christ, not only me personally, not only us corporately, right? But if we are going to be the good news and fragrance of Christ, then we need to be people who are transformed. That is our testimony to a broken world, right? Yelling and shouting and clarifying who's right and who's wrong. They get that every day. To be the fragrance of Christ of transformed people and giving grace for people on the journey, that is it. So um, the author of Ecclesiastes wraps everything up and Ecclesiastes 12 says this, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. 
How simple is this? Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all humanity. We get all spun out. Fear God. God is so much bigger than you could ever understand. So just relax. You're this tiny little vapor who is dearly loved by God, but just keep those in perspective. So fear God, right? And then what does he say? And then keep his commands. And I just, we just read that we're supposed to have lunch together with wine even. Keep his commands. That's what he has. So here's, the, here's this, just this gentle invitation. Because we don't want to be people who are, who are done growing. We don't want people who have stopped moving. We always want to be moving towards Christ. And what God is doing in us is all different. But maybe one of these things resonate with you. And so maybe there is a gentle invitation for you. Is, the, is there an invitation that maybe God is inviting you to own the Jesus ethic? Or for your first time to consider what it would be like to actually live the way that Jesus invites us to live. Like we don't know all the mysteries of God, but I know you know two memory verses. You know you're supposed to love God, love one another. Like it's, you already know. So maybe this is the opportunity to forgive as you have been forgiven, to extend mercy. Right? So you may know all the mysteries, but this is the time to take on the Jesus ethic. Or maybe, there's some, maybe it's time to actually do some work on your theology. It's really mysterious. The church has such a bad name in the world. Every TikTok is complaining about it. Trust me, I'm watching them all. Um, but no one's doing the work. No one's actually thinking about studying, going to smarter people. Everyone says, I'm upset about this at the end. Like my son and I, we had this big fight because I say, hey, do you want to do this? He's like, I don't even want to talk to you because I'm going to give you my perspective. You're going to have a perspective that's going to come back. I have a perspective that's going to come back that. And I already know you have a perspective to come back. Like he's played the whole thing out in his head. I'm like, that's right, because I'm smarter than you, right? <laughs> but that's not, but we have to do it. We have to trust that there is a dialogue, that there are answers. And so to just be upset because our aunt was mean to us when we were a kid or whatever, like there are answers and we need to run after. So maybe God's inviting you into some deeper theology to do the work. And maybe you're so spun out about all the different things that maybe you forgot that God actually longs to be in a warm-hearted friendship with you. Yes, he is the Lord. Yes, he's the Savior. Yes, he's our Father who's adopted us into his family as kids. But he actually just really wants to be a warm-hearted friend. And maybe you haven't taken advantage of that in a long time. And so the invitation for you and for our church is that we would be people who would be warm-hearted friends. That's what the pietistic journey is. That's what this, this idea of being a life towards Christ, that we are spiritual friends moving towards Christ. So let me pray for us that maybe one of those is something for you to be working on this week and, and would love, any one of our pastoral staff would love to walk with you in any and all that. Especially you online people. We love that. Okay, let me pray for us and then uh, we'll continue to worship and be done. Our Heavenly Father and gracious God, it's super fun and wild to think about how other you are. And yet so easy to get spun out. And so I just pray that you protect my heart, that you protect the hearts of my friends in this church, that we would not be people who would just enjoy the rabbit trails, but that we would remember that we are your precious, beloved children. Because of your son, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, you've given us the way to live. You've given us a way that's true for all humans everywhere, not just for this little moment in Marin County, but ultimately you've given us a way to experience a full and abundant life. And I love that because of the testimony of Scripture, that full and abundant life doesn't mean our life is going to be perfect, doesn't mean that we're always going to be at the mountaintop. Man, even in the deepest valleys, even in the most disappointment, even when we think we're doing it right and not emotionally feeling it, that whole human journey, because of the testimony of Scripture, 
and the people who have gone before us in our faith community, we will not give up, but we will stay connected to you. For both in joy and suffering, there is so much fruit to be had connected to you. So Holy Spirit, have your way with me, have your way with our church, have your way with us corporately, that we would be a group of people who would be your friends, who would give you worship, and who would extend grace and mercy to any and everyone. May everything we do and be be for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen and amen. Let's stand as we continue to worship together.